as we come to the end of this year, and we're thinking about a lot of things, we're on the threshold of so much as a church, we're going to be calling a new pastor, uh, going to be relocating to the Tomoka Farms property, going to be building a building, buildings, building buildings, and uh, uh, doing a lot of things, just stepping into a whole bunch of new, which entails change, which is sometimes scary for us. And so as we come to the end of this year, um, one of the realities that is, is so prevalent or evident is that our resolutions oftentimes are so focused on the temporal and the here and now that we really lose sight of the there and the then. And that's what I want to call our attention to this morning. And uh, really, the message is going to be titled Reset. That's really what um, resolutions are all about. It's our desire, our, our wish, our attempt to come to the end of a year and hit the reset button, particularly when the year prior was not so good. We want to hit the reset and start fresh in the next year. Or maybe we come to the place where, hey, we just came through an incredible year, and we want to hit like set, save settings <laughs> so that next year is exactly like this last year. Um, but oftentimes, though, the things that we're talking about are temporal. We talk about work and finances and habits and reading and exercise and so on and so forth. And we can really lose sight of the fact that the reason uh, God has assembled us as a people is that uh, we would be committed to uh, take the gospel to those who need to hear the gospel. And so I want to take some time with you this morning and get you to turn to 2 Corinthians, uh, particularly chapter 5 end of chapter 4 and chapter 5, and I want to read with you some things and, and look at some things that, that Paul is uh, saying or has said. We'll talk about the context of these things, and, but draw from it some, some uh, principles, if you will. As we, before we read, I, as I was thinking about resolutions, um, I was curious about really what prompts a resolution. What what causes us to come to the, a, a certain period of time where we want to say, um, hey, I want this to be different? And uh, here, here's three things you can jot down. And this is not original to me, but I, I found it in several different places. And here's, here's the first thing. We, we first come to a point in time, particularly the end of the year, where we just make observations about what's going on around us. Maybe it's in our personal life, maybe it's in our family, maybe it's in our business, maybe it's in our church. We just kind of make observations. And then we, we move from, uh, okay, here's a certain observation. We move then to evaluation. We evaluate our present state of affairs in light of this observation. And then based on that evaluation, we make some adjustment or commit to make some adjustment, and that's really what the resolution is. It's observing certain things, it's evaluating our lives in relation to those things, and then making some adjustments moving forward. Well, I think that we can also apply this same sort of principle to our lives as a church. And so Paul is writing to 2 Corinthians, he's writing to a group of people that he loved so much, but he also recognizes that, that this group of people um, who made up this church was a very troubled people. Um, we could go back to 1 Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote, and uh, a number of things that he had to address. There were factions within the church. There were um, one group followed this leader, and one group followed this leader, and so on and so forth. There was immorality prevalent. They were suing each other. Um, they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were... Um, 
regarding certain spiritual gifts as more important than other spiritual gifts. Just a troubled group of people all together. One of the things that also came out of the relationship was a, a number of people that really attacked Paul in his ministry, particularly uh, his physical appearance, that he was not uh, one that was very attractive. He wasn't a tall, strapping young man. He was probably a weak and an aging uh, older man who was losing his hair like me. He was also, he told us, very meek in his speech. He didn't come with flowery words and language. He came just preaching the message of the cross, which was a simple message. Consequently, people began to attack him. And so what we're going to read this morning is some of the defense that Paul writes to explain and give some context to why his life was the way that it was, or why he lived the way that he lived. What were his motivations? And as we read this this uh, defense that he gives of his ministry, and uh, he really paints clear pictures of the gospel and, and uh, what Jesus has done for us. As we read these things, we can pull from it uh, some principles, and we can really go through the observation, evaluation, and adjustment here this morning. And it might be that we could have a, a great reset here. Not so much that we would have a great 2018, but that we could have a great life. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. You still may have to go to urgent care. You still may have to deal with uh, particular things. You're still going to have family. You're still going to have friends. You're still going to have relationships. All of the troubles that go along with that. Uh, but you're still, uh, you, you can have a, an incredible spiritual trajectory. And Paul is very clear in that. So coming to the end of the year, um, one of the things that prompts us is that we realize, wow, another year is gone. And we realize that a calendar flips, what also happens is I become a year older. And as I become a year older, I was talking with a, a lady in the uh, early service. She said, um, I, uh, I'm just, I said, how are you doing? How was your Christmas? She says, oh, it was fine. We did some traveling, and I'm just getting a little older. And I said, aren't we all? Uh, but every time the calendar flips, we're just reminded that, that hey, I, I, don't, I might not have as much time going forward as I had in the past, particularly as we get a little more seasoned in our life. So Paul is going to give us some principles. So let's read together, starting in verse 16. Uh, we'll read down through the end of chapter 5, and then we'll just walk together through this and make some observations. So uh, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, verse 16. And here he writes, kind of jumping down into the middle of a thought, but go with me. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we, do not, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
And so we are always of good courage. And we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Uh, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Verse 10 is significant. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer uh, those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer." Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a lengthy passage, but the first thing that we can see together is that there is a particular observation made about life. It's something that we hear, and Paul has given us some context based on what he knows and based on uh, his experience as a follower of Jesus. And so he says some things to us that make some sense to us. Uh, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we know, or a little bit further up, Though our outer self is wasting away, this is verse 16, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then a little bit further down in verse 1, chapter 5, he says, We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So immediately, Paul tells us right off the bat, uh, there are some things that are temporary and there are some things that are permanent. Um, we get so focused on the here and the now that we lose sight of the there and the then. And he's helping us to understand that. So a little bit further, verse 2, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed put it on, we may not be found naked. For we are still in this tent, we groan. While we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So observation, Paul was a gentleman who had, he had resolved in his mind and his heart that his goal was going to be to focus on not what is here and now, not on the temporal, not on the temporary, but he was going to focus on the eternal. That was his goal, that was his aim, that was his ambition. 
And he was convinced of this because God had placed in him uh, the Spirit of God as the guarantee. So Paul understood and knew quite well that everything that he is saying to us was absolutely true because he'd received the Spirit as a promise. And we believers who are sitting here today, you understand it quite well also, that we have been given God's Spirit, and we know that that is the promise, the guarantee, the, the, um, the earnest, if you will, that one day we're going to be someplace else, that we're not going to be here, that life here is not all that we know and see, not all that we'll experience. One day we're going to experience something different. We have His Spirit as a guarantee. So, therefore, Paul says, we are always of good courage, and we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That's important. Uh, And verse 10, most significant of all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So observation about life. We are wasting away. We, every year, grow one year older. Many of us are, every year, a few pounds heavier. Many of us are just a little bit balder every year. We know that time is passing. We feel it in our joints. We feel it in our minds. We see it in our faces. Time is passing. We are wasting away. But everything is moving towards something and for a purpose. And that purpose is found in verse 10. We're wasting away, but there's a destination where we're all headed. Verse 10, Paul tells us that we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I asked the early service, um, and if you were there, don't answer because you'd be cheating. But what is wrapped up in the word all? All. I know that's profound. All. All will appear before the judgment seat. So that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's the observation. That we're wasting away. We're aware of that profoundly. But we're headed someplace. That's the truth. That's the observation. Then we have to make an evaluation based on that observation that everything is headed towards a particular point, a particular event in the future where everyone will stand before Jesus. So based on that observation, we have to make then an evaluation about our lives. And for Paul, it was very, very clear. Uh, He tells us, beginning in verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You see, Paul knew very well that to stand before the Lord is a terrifying thing, particularly when you stand there without an advocate in Jesus. So he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He had so resolved in his mind, he had so uh, allowed the reset button to be hit in his heart and mind that his sole ambition was to persuade others because he was aware of the observation that there's a point in history in the future when everybody will stand before Jesus. And so he says, we persuade others. Persuade others of what? Well, first of all, In the verse 11, 12, and uh, 13, uh, he spends some time defending himself further. 
One of the things that people had, um, had talked about or said about Paul is that um, he, he was out of his mind or crazy. And uh, they, were, they were content on judging people by outward appearance. And so therefore, Paul being um, not one who was handsome, not one who was uh, likely to be well-received, not one who was well-spoken, uh, Paul would have been um, uh, not regarded, uh, highly regarded by the people. And so he spent some time defending himself and, and, and helping them to understand um, who he was. So we're going to skip down to verse uh, 14. He first of all says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. And here's the essence of the gospel, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, that was the reality of Paul's life that he came to the place where he understood that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus did, in fact, die for sin, that faith in him would transform an individual's life, and that, therefore, the love of Christ compelled Paul. Because we understand this. Romans tells us, Paul said it elsewhere in chapter 5, verse 8, that we understand this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, demonstrating his love. He demonstrated his love, and that while we were sinners, he still died for our sins. So that is the evaluation, then, that we have to hold ourselves up against. So here's the observation again. We're headed someplace. We're wearing out. We're wasting away. We're not guaranteed 2018. By God's grace, we come to December 31st, 2017. We're not guaranteed 2018. We're not guaranteed January 1st, January 2nd, January 3rd. We're not guaranteed next New Year's Eve. And we're headed someplace, the judgment seat of Christ. And for Paul, that observation led him to evaluate his life and so uh, be moved by the fear of standing before the Lord that he himself was resolved to live out the gospel, but also to persuade everyone that he would encounter that they too must believe the gospel or else they would stand before the judgment on their own, which is a horrible, horrible scenario. His heart was filled with uh, the love of Christ. He says the love of Christ controls us. Because we know absolutely well that one died for all. That Jesus took our death so that we could have his life by faith. So that's the evaluation now. Recognizing this, that we will all stand before the judgment. For believers, we will stand before the judgment and we will be judged on our, our, uh, our deeds. We will receive rewards. Uh, for the unbeliever, they will stand before the judgment seat and be judged for their sin. How all of that works out, we're not going to discuss right now. But know this, that we will all stand before the judgment seat. That's the evaluation then we have to make is this. Do we allow the certainty of the judgment to be the motivating factor in our life where, where we will do all that we can to live out our faith and to follow Jesus, as Pastor Lowell challenged us. Will that be our motivation? Is that our motivation? And does the love of Christ compel us to share the greatest story ever told with those who need to hear? That's the evaluation. What motivates you? 
we're wearing out. We're headed to a destination. In light of that, what motivates you? Chances are, the things that you've considered in light of this day are temporary and temporal. Is it the fear of the Lord that motivates you? That's the evaluation. That's the question you have to ask for yourself. What motivates you? So there's observation. We're wearing out and time's running out and it's been said it's later than you think it is. We're headed to a place. In light of that, we have to evaluate ourselves and our lives and, and ask, what is the motivating factors in my life? Is it to be uh, successful? Is it to get the right things? Is it to amass the right stuff? Is it to know the right people? Is it to be in the right places? Is it to drive the right car? Is it all of these things that sometimes we get caught up in that are not eternal? That's the evaluation. What motivates you and then there's the adjustment based on that we have to make an adjustment that's the uh, anatomy of a resolution is that we um, make an observation we make an evaluation and then we make an adjustment based on that uh, evaluation so for Paul uh, it happened um, very dramatically uh, for Paul, his encounter with Jesus was quite dramatic his transformation in life was quite dramatic but the details of it kind of begin to uh, take shape in, down in verse 16. Verse 16 tells us this. Um, from now on, Paul says, uh, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Paul's story was quite sordid and quite long. Uh, there was a time when, when he was content to make certain that he destroyed everyone who followed Jesus. In fact, he was right in the middle of that, from, headed from one place to another on a road where he met the Lord Jesus and his life was radically transformed. Paul really, really had a transformation of life. Paul was content to, to measure everybody by their achievements and by their attainments and by their, their learning and their education and their status and so on and so forth as a good Jewish man. But when he met Jesus, suddenly his evaluations of people changed. He says, therefore, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. See, prior to Paul becoming the great missionary that he was, he saw Jesus as not the Son of God, not the Messiah, because to a Jewish man as Paul was, the fact that the Messiah would come and suffer and die was preposterous. And based on what Jesus did and that he was meek and mild in his nature, and the fact that he died, Paul would see that as a curse on Jesus, not that he was the Messiah. But it was when he encountered him face to face and Jesus revealed to Paul who he was 
that Paul responded and uh, began to change his evaluations of people, particularly his evaluation of Jesus. He went from seeing him as a false prophet or a false messiah to the Messiah, the Son of God, who died to take away the sins of the world. So he says, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. It's not by status. It's not by stuff. It's not by clubs you're a part of. It is purely something different, and he will tell us what that is in just a moment. But here's what we have to kind of settle in. We also not only evaluate others according to the flesh sometimes, we evaluate ourselves according to the flesh. We're quite content so long as the 401k is sufficient for the latter years that everything is okay. And we're content that if I'm reasonably healthy and the doctors don't give me any kind of major reports, then I'm okay. And there's so many people who resolve that everything is good. I'm, I'm good. My life is good. Uh, they have no regard for Jesus. I heard Adrian Rogers say in a message one time, uh, he was talking about the Titanic when it sailed. And he said there were some people who were in carriage and there were some people in first class, but they all went down with the ship. And some people, he said to his church there at Bellevue in Memphis, he said, some of you are going to hell first class. And that brings a laugh, but it's tragic. Everything may be fine in your temporal life, but what is your eternal destiny? So he says we regard no one according to the flesh. And then um, a great verse in verse 17, he says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's the adjustment. It's coming to Christ. And recognizing that in Christ, the penalty of my sin is satisfied. And the power of sin in my life has been broken. Old things have passed away. The new has come. Verse 18, he clarifies this as though it would be something that is, is achieved by us. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, that's a powerful few statements. I hope I do it justice. The word that's used there, reconciling and reconciliation, is not a word that's used a lot. In fact, it's used just a few times in the New Testament. Paul uses it every time. Half of the occurrences of the word are right here in this passage. There's a, another place where a similar idea is shared, and it's Isaiah 9. We read it, uh, I think we read it last week uh, during our Christmas Eve uh, candlelights. Isaiah 9, there's a place where um, we get to a verse that says, For unto us a child is born. And that's the verse that we focus in on. Right before that, maybe two verses before, it talks about every cloth that is bloodstained is going to be used as fuel for the fire, or something to that degree. It means that hostilities have ended. That's what reconciliation is. The pronouncement of being reconciled was that the end of hostilities had come. And so Paul says that in Christ, 
God was declaring in Christ the end of hostilities between God and man. That all of the wrath was being poured on Jesus so that we in Him could be a new creation. Not have to face the wrath uh, uh, that was to come, but rather to be transformed. That the old things had passed away and the new things had come. So he says, God in Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now here's an incredible verse as well. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An ambassador uh, speaks on behalf of and with the authority of someone else. And so Paul said the adjustment for him was that he went from um, recognizing that his goal was to stamp out Christianity uh, to become the greatest proponent of Christianity preaching everywhere that he could find an audience, he did so, recognizing that he was speaking for and on behalf of Jesus as an ambassador, sharing the message of reconciliation. Imagine this way. Nations are at war, and the war comes to an end. And so what each nation will do is send a representative uh, to reconcile. And what they will do when they sit down at the table is to declare the end of hostilities, that peace has come. And so they would then go back to the nations and declare that peace has been accomplished. Uh, That is what our task is as people. We're ambassadors of Christ, saying to people, sharing to people, as Paul said, persuading people, begging people, imploring people that peace has come. We're ambassadors of Christ sharing a message of reconciliation. So we are left with this today. One, we make an observation about life. We're wasting away. We are wearing out. We are dying. And we're headed to a destination. And based on that fact, we have to evaluate what is motivating me in my life. And based on that evaluation, we make an adjustment. And we hit the reset. And the greatest adjustment that you can make today is to lay down your weapons and come to Jesus. A little bit further in chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, In working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus has come. Jesus has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And today as I get ready to close, or as I close, I implore you, come to Jesus today. You're headed to a destination, the judgment seat. And you will stand before him 
with an advocate in Jesus or you'll stand before him alone, responsible for your sin. And you're in one of two places. And so I implore you to come to Jesus today. We'll have pastors here. Brother Doug's going to be here with us. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to begin to follow Jesus. That 2018 wouldn't just be a great year, but that 2018 would mark a whole new existence for you. So let's pray together, and then we'll respond together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the gospel story, what you have done on our behalf. And I just pray that in these moments here, that you would help us to respond. Uh, whether it's today that we would come to Jesus for the first time, recognizing that we've never placed our faith in him, we've never begun to walk with him. And so um, much of what has been said today doesn't yet make sense. But I also pray today for the believer, the believer who's grown, grown cold in their passion for those who do not yet know of Jesus. And I pray that today would be a day where we would, um, you would call us back to a fervency of, of sharing the message of reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ, speaking for and under the authority of someone else. Would we do all that we can do as a church to make sure that there's no one and no place left that doesn't know about Jesus and have the opportunity to respond to him. Well, we thank you for this time again and just pray that you'd help us to respond. And we pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.